Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Ain't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Come on now. Ain't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? After all God's done in this place, we ought to be blowing the roof off every single time we gather together. Amen. But every once in a while, listen, I ain't getting on to nobody now, but every once in a while it feels like we got to pump and prime a little bit. But, man, I'm telling you, with all the miracles we've seen and all the lives that have been changed in this place, I ought to be really just having to quiet you down so we can preach the word this morning. Amen. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. We can hoop and holler at ball games and all that other kind of stuff. We get in church, we want to be quiet. But I'm telling you something, man, the Florida State Seminoles didn't save me, amen. Clemson Tigers didn't save me. Man, y'all, it's a tough crowd this morning. My goodness. My goodness. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, if you ain't careful, just become an idol in your life, amen. They'll just send you on down, amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm just excited to be here this morning. Just want to take a moment and honor Pastor, honor our associate pastor, just uh, just for their leadership and just thanking them for the opportunity to come this morning. We're headed in a, we're going to head in a different direction all week and man, it's just like the Lord sometimes, you know, you get up in the, in the morning and I don't like getting up early too much, but I got up early this morning and just began to read and God just began to show me some things and in the scriptures that we're going to preach from that I just had really never seen and, and, uh, just kind of led us in a different direction this morning. But if you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to take them and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 4. 1 Samuel, chapter number 4. You do not have to stand. I'm going to read this whole entire chapter. So I was going to say it's 122 verses. It's only 22 verses. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's on page 418. Somebody's looking at page 418 right now wondering what in the world's going on. <laughs> uh, amen. Hallelujah. If you're there, say amen. amen. And the word of Samuel came and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, listen, I don't know if I pronounce this stuff right, so just love me through it, amen. Hophni and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of the mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness." 
Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh in the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching. For his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when, and when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli, Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people, and thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died, for he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings of the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. Because the ark of God was taken. And because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. I want to flip back over to 1 Samuel chapter number 1. Verse number 1. Now there was a certain man of... Ramathaim Zophim out of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives, the name of, somebody say, bless his heart. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina, I guess is what we're going to call her, Panina, whatever her name is. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and to, daughter, and, and to her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Let's skip on down to... Verse number 10. And Hannah was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And you know the rest of the story, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But as I began just to prepare and study, I was going to title this message, Give me God's presence or give me death. And man, I may, I may get to preach that one day, and I sure want to. But I began reading this this morning. 
and looking at the life of Hannah. And so I'm going to title this message, A Work of Grace. A Work of Grace. Help me pray. Father, we love you. God, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in this place already this morning. Father, we just thank you, God, for your grace, Lord, and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your great love this morning, God, that you have for us. Thank you, God, that, Lord, even when we can't see it, God, that your grace is working on our behalf. Lord, that in your wisdom and in your foreknowledge, Lord, that you see and you know all things. And, God, even when the situations are dim to us, God, you're working and you're moving. And grace, Lord, is moving and working on our behalf. Father, I just ask you to come this morning, God, and let God me speak with grace. Lord, I ask you, God, just to anoint, Lord, and to season, Lord, my lips with grace this morning. God, let me say everything that you desire, Lord, and let me leave nothing unsaid this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint ears this morning to hear, God, and hearts to receive, Lord, what you'd have this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So as I just begin to prepare and just begin to read and begin to look at this, you know, I just... I really just wanted to preach out of 1 Samuel chapter number 4, and we're going to talk about it in just a minute and, and look at it some and dissect the scripture just a little bit. But, man, as I just begin to read about Hannah and her life and, and just begin, the Lord just begin to tie this all together for me, and I just begin to look at it, and I just be, begin to see, you know, the Old Testament is known for, I mean, it's the old covenant. covenant. It's under the law, and, and Israel had to do this and had to do that and all these other kind of things. But what's beautiful about the Word of God is that it all ties together. And if you look from Genesis to Revelation, you can see that the grace of God is at work even from the beginning. Even in the law, grace is at work. And even in the new covenant, as we live under grace now, and not under law, that we can see that grace is moving and grace is, is, is working on our behalf. And it, it may seem strange sometimes to preach a message out of the Old Testament about the work of grace and about grace, but as we look into this, we're going to see how the grace of God was at work in the lives of the children of Israel. But before we get all to that this morning, I think it's just important to this morning that we must understand that we're living in some dark and evil times. I said we're living in dark, evil times. It doesn't take long to, to turn on the news and to see what's going on or to, or to look. I, I, got where I really just don't even watch the news anymore. But every once in a while, if you're on Facebook, somebody will post a news story or whatever. But it doesn't take very long to look around and to see what, what is going on in this world and what is going on in this nation is just pure evilness and pure lawlessness. And, and I'm just, this morning, I'm, I'm so deeply just saddened by and, and sickened this morning by all that's going on in the world and in our nation. I'm not shocked by it, but I am sickened by it, and I am saddened by what's going on, but I'm not shocked by it because the Word of God tells us that these dark and evil times that we're living in would come in the last days. So the good news is this, we may be living in dark times, and we're going to talk about a few of them in just a minute, but though we're living in these dark times, Brother Michael, though we're here, and though things, things seem a little uncertain, and if we're all honest, when, when, this, when this man got elected president, if, if, we're, if we're all honest, maybe it shot a little fear through us, and the unknown, and all these things, but can I just tell you today that none of it has caught God off guard, amen? Amen. 
He wasn't walking around heaven and say, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now that Biden is elected president? I, you know, maybe, maybe it was God's will. Maybe it wasn't whatever the case. I know that God allowed it to happen, but I know that it didn't catch God off guard. He knew in his foreknowledge that it was going to be this way. And, and though, though it seems a little grim and though things are, are, are unraveling and, and seemingly and all these other things, I want you to know that God is very intentional. And if we're not careful, we'll look at these things and we'll see that, that maybe God has lost control and maybe things aren't working out the way God desired and all these other things. But if we're, if we're honest with each other, and we'll begin to, to see what God does and we'll look at the story of Hannah and the story of Israel and where they're at in the time of 1 Samuel. And we'll think about those things as we look at our nation, Pastor David, we will see that God is working grace out. Amen. I'm telling you, grace is on the move. Grace is working. Grace has not died. Grace has not failed. And listen, I, I know the songs this morning, and, and Rafe made a joke one time that, oh, isn't it amazing that all the songs that the worship pastor sang as he's preached lined up with what he's preaching on. But I can tell you, I, I, these songs just came to me last night. I had no idea that I would be preaching about the work of grace. But I'm telling you, it's just a work of grace this morning that we sang about this being an amazing grace. Amen? It's just a work of grace this morning that we sang about the blood of Jesus in this house this morning. Amen? God's grace is intentional and God's grace is on the move and it is working. But we do live in dark times. We find, I want to read this out of the Amplified Bible and this is one of the verses or these few verses that most definitely describe the day and the hour that we're living in. You can find them in 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5. I want to read them out of the Amplified Bible but this is what the Bible says. But understand this, that in the last days will come will set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, utterly self-centered, lovers of money, and aroused by inordinate greedy desire for wealth, proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive and blasphemous, scoffing and disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, Relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce. Haters of good. They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements, more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold a form of piety or true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it, their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people and turn away from them. If those verses don't describe the world that we're living in today, then we might as well close the book because there are no scriptures that describe the world that we're living in today. But I'm telling you, these scriptures de describe in detail exactly the what we're living in in this day and hour that we're living in. We have a government and a nation today that not only just supports, but they embrace the murder of babies, calling it a human right. We have a government that is doing all it can to pass laws to allow minor children to be able to change their biological identity if they so desire and offer them hormones and medicines that will assist in changing them from a male to a female or from a female to a male. They also want to make this to where if they if these minor children decide that they want to have this operation and if a, a male minor child or a female minor child decides it wants to change to the opposite sex, they're trying to pass laws to where the parents can do absolutely nothing about it and even be jailed if they try to do things about it. 
We say we, we live in a government that just that just a few. Listen, I'm just I'm, I'm, I, we got to lay a little bit of bad news, but I'm telling you, good news is coming. Amen. We live with a government who just a few days ago in the House of Representatives voted and passed the Equality Act that is now headed to the Senate for a vote. And listen, let me just tell you just a little bit about this law. I don't know everything there is to know, but what I can tell you is that if this bill becomes a law, it would mean that people could not be discriminated against based on their sexual orientation. Now listen, I don't believe in discrimination. I don't think discrimination is right in any shape, form, or fashion. But what we must understand is this bill reaches far deeper than that. This bill goes deeper than that. This thing is spiritual in nature. Are you hearing what I'm telling you this morning? But listen, don't get discouraged because we're going to talk about grace, and I promise you that grace is working this morning. Amen. Grace is working in this nation, and I'm telling you that God will have the final say. I'm telling you that the church is going to rise in this hour like we've never risen before. Don't get discouraged along the way. Amen. But I'm telling you this is really a bill that is aimed at the church. They want to make it a crime for the church to preach against the LGBT community. And they will do their best to silence the church. It's not going to be long. And they've already done it in the past, but it's not going to be long. Where if, if, if they're watching Facebook now, I wouldn't be surprised if they go ahead and shut the live feed off. I wouldn't be surprised if they begin to call and they begin to say that you must turn in your sermon notes and all these different things. Maybe it's a good time that we need to quit just preaching with notes. Amen. Hallelujah. But I tell you, if they want them, they can have them. Amen. Maybe they'll get saved through them. Amen. <laughs> but this bill, listen to me, it's aimed at the church. It's aimed at our freedoms as Christians. And listen, friend, hear me this morning. If you're not a person of prayer, now's a great time to become one. I said now is a great time to become a person of prayer if you're not one. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a, I wish I could remember his name. Maybe, maybe it was, I don't even remember his name. Don't even want to quote it. But, the, but an evangelist said this. He said, we better pray, 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 and then we better pray, pray, pray. Friend, let me tell you something. If you're not spending time alone with God, and, and maybe this is just a little bit of that message about give me God's presence or give me death, I don't know. But friend, if you're not spending time in the presence of God, you better start spending time in the presence of God because I'm telling you, there are some dark days ahead. There are some things we're gonna have to face if the Lord should tarry. And I'm telling you, grace is sufficient, but if we are not in the presence of God and we don't make being in the presence of God, not, I, I hate to even use the word routine, but if we don't make it routine in our life, if we don't make it our passion in our life, if we don't make it our driving force in our life, then the days that are coming ahead, I don't know how me and you are going to be able to survive. When a nation not just embraces but supports and encourages such perversion as this nation does, God has no choice but to send his judgment. I said God has no choice but to send his judgment. All these children that have been killed under the guise of abortion, all this homosexuality and lesbianism and all these things going on, I'm telling you, God may have seemingly winked at it for a while, but I can tell you that he's not. I can tell you that it abhors him and he hates the sin, but I can tell you that if you're involved in any of that, I can tell you today that Jesus loves you. And if you listen, I don't know why I'm talking to Facebook Live, but let me tell you something. If you're a lesbian, if you're a homosexual, if you've committed abortion or been a part of an abortion let me tell you something I'm telling you better repent or God's judgment will come to you but let me tell you this this morning there's a church here in Brittany Florida that loves you that does not judge you we're not against you we're for you and we'll tell you the truth to keep you out of hell (laughs) 
I'm about sick and tired of it being called hate crime and so many preachers not having the backbone and the intestinal fortitude to stand up and tell people the truth. Listen, it's not love if you don't preach the truth. It's not love if you don't tell them that if they don't repent, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. It's not love if you don't tell them that they better allow this grace of God to work inside of their life or they're going to bust the devil's hell wide open. the book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 4 I'm going to do my best not to keep you too long this morning I'm just going to keep you one long (laughs) I'm going to pull a pastor this morning I'm not going to be long (laughs) two hours later I love you pastor (laughs) <laughs> I'm just going to preach a whole series this morning, amen. <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> uh, hallelujah. Y'all, y'all get back in the spirit now. <laughs> Pastor, you got to show grace. In First Samuel chapter number 4, as we read our text a moment ago, and back to, ver- and back to chapter 1, there's several years that have taken place. Several things that have happened between 1 Samuel chapter number 1 and 1 Samuel chapter number 4. In chapter number 4, we see the, the culmination or if you or rather the judgment of God that has come upon a nation of Israel because of their sin. And we'll look more at chapter 4 later should the Lord lead us in that direction. But to understand where we're going in our text, I want to I work backwards if that would be all right. How many know that grace works backwards sometime? Amen. So I want to work backwards just a little bit if we can and I want to look back at 1 Samuel chapter number 3. In 1 Samuel chapter number 3, verse number 1, it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Y'all know I love to look up words, so I had to look up. I'd already looked up the word vision, but I added it to the notes here. And this is what the word vision means in the Hebrew. But it means a mental sight or an idea in your head where you want to go. In other words, you can envision or see in your mind where you want to get to. A vision from God about future events is another meaning of the word. Also, a divine revelation or a dream or an oracle. It kind of goes along with what what Pastor David is going to be preaching tonight about vision and having dreams and all these things and and, and love just how God ties things together. But what it means is, in other words, what they're saying here in verse number 1 of chapter number 3 of 1 Samuel, that there was no prophetic word of God in that day. And if we read over in Proverbs 29 and 18, what we find that the Bible says that where there is no vision, the people perish. Now that word perish, I looked it up and this is what it means. It it doesn't necessarily actually mean to die as we might think it does right off the surface. But what it actually means is to loosen or to cast off restraint. It sounds much like the world that we're living in today, man. It's an anything goes kind of world. If it feels good, do it. Much like what we read in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 earlier. Do you know what the great commandment of the satanic Bible is? Do as thou wilt. In other words, if it feels good, do it. It's much of what's going on in today's society as we look around and we see these things. And for the sake of time, we're just going to move on through 1 Samuel 3 here real quick. But in verse number 3, we find that as, as Eli's there in the, in, the, in the temple and in Shiloh, we find that there's no open vision and that we find that Eli had laid down in his place in, in verse number 2. And that his eyes had begun to wax dim that he could not see. And in verse number 3, we find that the lamp of God went out that was in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel, as Samuel was laid down to sleep. 
Now, what this lamp was, this was the golden candlestick that was inside of the temple. And this candlestick was supposed to burn all continually, all day long and all night long. And at two times during the day, they were supposed to replenish this candlestick with oil so that the fire never went out. And it continued to burn perpetually before the presence of the Lord. And if you know anything about the Bible and you study what we know and understand is that oil, as we know, represents the Holy Ghost. Amen? Let's, let's say it represents the presence of God. And for you and I today, if we're to be replenished by the Holy Ghost, you and I must be in the presence of God. If our fire is going to burn in the day and the hour that we're living in, listen, we must be in the presence of God. Give me God's presence or give me death. And here's the thing. If we're not in the presence of God, we, we, we must be very careful what we say and what we do because we could be spewing death out of our very mouths. But this oil was supposed to be replenished twice a day, in the morning and in the afternoon, so that this candlestick could continue to burn before the presence of the Lord. It's indicative and a shadowing type of the way that our lives, David, are supposed to be today. Our lives are supposed to burn with the fire continually of the Holy Ghost. Amen? And listen, if we're not spending time in his presence, like I've already said, that fire in us is going to begin to begin to wane and begin to go out. So you and I must become people that spend our time in the presence of God. We must learn to turn off Facebook and we must learn to turn off the TV and we must learn to, to there's nothing wrong with any, any of these things, but how, how, how often, and listen, I'm guilty myself, but how often do we, do we sit and watch a television program and, 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 or looking at Facebook and all of a sudden we find that hours have went by and we wind up at the end of that day and we realize that we've not spent any time with the Lord and then we'll go into our, 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 our office or our closet room and we'll, we'll say a little, now I lay me down to sleep prayer and think that we've done God some great service because we talked to him before we went to bed. Friend, listen, that's not going to cut it in the day and the hour that we're living in now, but we must be a people of prayer. We must be a people that's in the word and we must be a people that is in the presence of God. Amen. I said we must be a people that is in the presence of God. The oil from our lives must burn continually for the days and the hours that are coming ahead. There's people that are lost and people that are dying that are going to hell all around us. And listen, I'm asking myself this question, but is the oil in my life, is the Holy Ghost alive enough in my life? Is Jesus alive enough in my life that when they look at me, they see him? When they look at me, they see the life of Christ. When they look at me, they say there's something different about him. And I don't know how he's got peace and joy and hope and happiness and all these things with what's going on in the world, but I want some of what he's got. And I'm able just by my life without even speaking a word, they know that I belong to Christ. Our oil must burn. We must be in the presence of the Lord. We find about Eli and his sons in 1 Samuel chapter number, all throughout through 1 Samuel 4, 1 through chapter number 1 through first through I can't even talk through, help me Jesus. Through chapter 4, you know where I'm talking about. We'll get the interpretation on that later. But if we read through this, we find a lot of information about Eli and his sons. We find that Eli was the high priest in that day, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also priests with him. We find as we read through 1 Samuel that Eli did not tend to the things of God and allowed his sons to use their positions as priests for greedy gain and sexual immorality. Because of this, the children of Israel abhorred the sacrifices of God, causing them to not even want to worship God any longer. And so we'll work backwards in just a minute, but 1 Samuel chapter 4, as we read in our text earlier, I want to just look at this for just a moment 
because there's a lot of great information and a lot of meat in this passage, in this chapter. But in 1 Samuel 4, just as we read, what we find is that Israel goes out to battle against the Philistines. And in the first battle, we find that 4,000 Israelites are killed. So we find that the elders in verse number 3 they came into the camp and they began to wonder, why hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? And they decide amongst themselves to, they will go and they will fetch the Ark of the Covenant from the, from the temple in Shiloh and bring it into the camp, believing that they're securing the blessings of God and victory over their enemy. It's important to understand today that this Ark of the Covenant, this Ark of God, as it's sometimes called the Ark of Covenant, Covenant or the Ark of God, it represented the presence and the power of God and the blessings of God upon Israel. So as they go and they get this thing, these elders decide they need this Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. And what, what I found shocking about this, Pastor David, is they believed and, and they knew what they needed. They knew that they needed the presence of God. They knew that they needed, but the problem is, is they tried to obtain the presence of God in their own flesh and in their own way. And how many know it just doesn't work that way, Amen. We can't come in and just live any way we desire to live and do anything we desire to do and all of a sudden expect that God's going to show up in our circumstance and God's going to move and God's going to bless and all these different types of things and we're living contrary to the word of God and we're not in relationship with Jesus and somehow just believe that we can just use him as a, as a genie in a bottle or as a, as a, as a magic uh, 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 symbol or something as, as, the, as the Israelites thought they could do here and that everything is going to work out for us. You see, we read through this and we find where these elders, they didn't ask the Lord, nor did he tell them to go fetch the ark. And so they're acting out in their own flesh and trying to do things in their own flesh and, 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 and in their own strength. What Israel needed to do at this point was to repent. But instead, they would try to, listen, they would try to use the ark as a magic symbol, thinking that somehow that even though they were living how they wanted, that the ark would guarantee the presence of God and victory over the enemy. My friend, listen to me this morning. We cannot use the presence of God as some type of magic symbol, thinking that we can just do whatever we want to do with it to get our way. Listen, when God's in this place and God is moving as he was this morning, I'm telling you, there ought to be a tremble coming from our life. There ought to be fear coming from our life, not as in we are afraid of God, but that we reverence that God is moving in this place. And listen, this ain't in the notes, so this is all free. You can shoot me down later and may not ever let me preach again. But I'm telling you this morning, when the presence of God is in this place, if you're back there and you're talking and you're, you're, you're chomping on gum and you're trimming your fingernails and your toenails and worried about all this other kind of stuff, listen, I'm telling you, you better learn to reverence the presence of God in this place. You better learn to acknowledge the presence of God. And if you don't want to be in the presence of God, then my suggestion is when, they, when he's moving and he's in this place that you just get up quietly and nicely walk your way out of, out of this and go out into the foyer, out to some area of the church or maybe even outside while God is moving. Amen? Don't shoot me down now. That's just free. What Israel needed to do in this moment is to repent. And if they had repented, how different the outcome would have been for them on this day. Verse number five says that they returned with the ark. And as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, listen, all of Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. I love what one Bible commentator said, listen, about Israel's actions in verse number five. Verse number four and five, listen. He said, as the heart gets further and further from God, symbols and ceremonies become very important. 
As Israel, many try to cover, listen, many try to cover up the barrenness of their profession by the loudness of their profession. Israel had nothing to shout about in that moment. They needed to repent. How many churches today, they're barren of the presence of God. They're barren of the presence of God, but David, they've got something going on all the time. They've got program after program and, and fellowship after fellowship and all these things that are going on. And yet you go to, some they, people go to these churches and they leave with nothing. They leave, as, 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 as uh, Brother Owens put it in, in his message, they, they come and, and there, there's no uh, uh, teaching and no, no desire to get rid of the old man. It's just to be part of the pomp and the circumstance and part of the loudness and part of the programs. And they come and they ask the preacher, well, what do you have for our kids? What do you have for our youth? What do you have for young? adults what do you have for the single ladies and what do you have for the single men and all these types of stuff and listen I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that whatsoever but when it is barren and void of the presence of God all they're doing is making a whole bunch of noise and nobody's life is being changed nobody's turning from their sin and repenting and turning to God nothing is happening they're just making a lot of noise and trying to cover up the barrenness of what they what they what they possess by the loudness of their profession Listen, my friend, we don't need another program. What we need is the presence of God. We don't need another program for the children. What we need is our children in the presence of God. I'm not saying to cut out the programs. That's not what I'm saying. But if that program is not birthed from the Holy Ghost inside of an individual, then we need to cut it off, and we need to get them in the presence of God. Amen? So the Israelites have brought this Ark of the Covenant into the camp. And they're all excited, and the Philistines get scared a little bit, and someone encourages them to, listen, you stop acting the way you're acting and act like men and get out there and fight against the Hebrews so you don't become their slaves like they've been to you. And so I can just imagine that reluctantly the Philistines fought, went out to battle against the Israelites, and probably in their mind they knew, well, we're fixing to get defeated pretty bad. We're fixing to go down because... They've got the presence of God in their lives. And as I was just looking at this, one commentator said something that was just, it was so profound to me. If, if we look at the Philistines and we, we understand at this moment in time that the children of Israel had been in the promised land for quite some time. They had not completely conquered everything because of sin and, and, and things in their life. But the Philistines were part of this promised land. They were inhabitants of the promised land. So the Philistines was not, they were not a, a, an external enemy, but they were an internal enemy. They were an enemy from the inside. And how many of us fight things on the inside of us? How many of us face things? Uh, listen, my biggest enemy is me. My biggest enemy is not the, the devil. My biggest enemy is me. John Wayne's probably my second biggest enemy. <laughs> So they engage in this battle, and Israel believes that I can just imagine they're going out and they're 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 living their life and they're 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 confident and think they have think they possess something that they don't possess, and so they engage in this battle with the Philistines. and And if you read in the Word, we find that at, at when they engaged in battle again, they suffered a great loss, thirty thousand men dying, including the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, and the Ark of God was taken. How many times do you and I think that we possess something that we don't possess? 
or we don't tell somebody the, the entire truth of the gospel. And they, 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 they have, as, as Brother Owens put it, they, have, they don't have the complete Jesus. Because listen, Jesus not only saves, but Jesus heals. Jesus not only saves and heals, but Jesus fills with the Holy Ghost. Jesus not only saves and fills with the Holy Ghost and heals, but he also brings peace and he also brings joy and all these other, th- all these other things that Jesus brings. He, brings. he brings love. He brings all these things. And I'm not saying that we don't struggle with those things from time to time, but if we have the complete Jesus, we'll have all those things at some point in our life. And so they go out to fight and they have this huge battle that takes place, 30,000 men dying. And so as we read earlier, this man from Benjamin, he escaped and he goes back and he tells, the, he tells Eli what happened. He tells him his two sons were taken and all these different things. And then you know the story is Eli falls over dead. His daughter-in-law, she hears and in childbirth, goes into childbirth and doesn't even want to see her child when he's born. Doesn't even want to see the child. And she dies as well. And so I just wrote down a thought of this, and I want to just I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. Because death is a very tragic thing, and what happened in, in Eli's life and what happened in his daughter-in-law's life is very tragic. But they could have put the pieces of their lives back together. If they had turned to God, they could have put the pieces of their life back together. God would have strengthened them and he would have helped them and he would have, his, his grace would have, have had gone to work in their life. But you see what happened was it wasn't only ju- that just sons and husbands had died. What happened was that the presence of God had also been taken away from them. And so if you read about Eli in this, in this passage of Scripture that it said in verse 18 in, in chapter number 4 that it, he, you know, he was told ahead of time about, about Hophni and Phinehas and, and that they're dying and about, about the 30,000 footmen of Israel and nothing seemingly happened. I he may have started crying, I don't know, but the Bible doesn't mention anything occurring significantly at that moment as Eli was being told these things by this man of Benjamin. But if we look at verse number 18, something very significant happened. The man said, and it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that, he, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck broke and he died. You see, Eli in that moment knew, he maybe going through his mind, Pastor David, maybe he said, okay, the 30,000 men have died. I can get through this. 30,000 men that, that I'm responsible for and that I should have led better, they died. But maybe if I can turn to God, maybe these things will work out and I can, I can find strength again and I can, I can muster up what I need to muster up to get through this. And then this man tells him about his, his two sons dying. He says, oh my God, this is bad. 30,000 men have died and now my my two boys are gone and, and, and I just, I know I'm, I'm thinking back over my life and how I led my two boys and how I allowed them to do things at the temple that they, that they shouldn't have done. And I didn't, I didn't really lead them in the ways of God, but, but, but I, I think maybe that I can get through this. Okay. I think maybe, maybe if, if the Lord will help me I, and I can just get in his presence, I'll be all right. And I can find strength. And I mean, it's going to be tough and I'm going to be, and I'm going to grieve and, 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 and it may be a while before I can really come back to my 
himself and get over this. And, and I, I don't know if all this was going through his head or not, but, but when this man said that the ark of God had been taken and that God's presence had gone, something stirred inside of Eli, and he knew in that moment that without the presence of God, there was no more hope, there was no more strength, there was no more joy, and there was no way he was going to make it without the presence of God. Amen? It is the same for you and I today, my friend. If you and I don't get in the presence of God, we're going to die. That's why I wanted to title that message, Give Me God's Presence or Give Me Death. Friend, with what we're facing in the future, what's going on in our lives today, I'm telling you, we need the presence of God. We better cherish it. We better pursue it. We better nurture it. We better take care of it. And we better reverence it. Amen. And this is where I want to get to. And I told you I wouldn't keep you long, so Rafe, if you go ahead and come here. But as I just began reading this this morning, I think I had, man, I don't know, seven, eight pages of notes, I think. Man, that was good stuff. It was good. I mean... Straight from sermons by Russell.com. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was good stuff. <laughs> I'm considering forwarding the, the, the notes to, to Brother David so he can have them. <laughs> Not you, David Owens. He <laughs> don't, no, he don't. But I just began reading this, and I just felt that I needed to just start in chapter 1 and just read chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I just began reading about Hannah, and the Lord just began to, to speak to me about his grace and about this lady, Hannah. And so I just want to take a moment, and, just, and I promise I won't be much longer, but I just want to take a moment and, and look at this, because this is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. So we know the story, and in verse number 2 it says, in chapter number 1, it said that this man had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina, or whatever her name is. She had children, but Hannah had no children. And so, as we look at the life of Hannah and, and her adversary, Penina, whatever, I can't pronounce the, the you know what I'm talking about. But the Bible identifies her as having no children. And so, Hannah is is identified and known by her inability to bear children. That's what she's known by. So in her hometown, when, when she walks down the street, people look at her and say, well, there goes Hannah. She can't have any children. There goes poor Hannah. What a disgrace to her husband because she can't produce fruit for him. She can't give him a child that would carry on his lineage. And so this is what she's known by. There goes poor Hannah, unable to produce any children. There's no fruit coming from her life. And this is what she's known by, her condition. No doubt that she was mocked and, and shamed and labeled and, and, and low-rated. Known by her condition. It was a disgrace for women in that day in, 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 in that day and time to be barren. But you see what 
maybe Hannah didn't even know at the time and what Penina didn't even know at the time. Maybe what her husband Elkanah didn't even know at the time. As, as we read on down in verse number 5, we find that it says, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So she wasn't barren because of something she had done wrong in her life. She wasn't barren because of sin in her life. But this was an intentional work of God in her life. So my friend, listen, you may think that you're barren now. You may think that there's not a lot going on. and You may not be where you want to be or whatever the case is this morning. But listen. If you're a child of God in this place this morning, I'm telling you that grace is at work in your life. And you may not be what you want to be. You may not be what you're supposed to be right now, John Wayne, but I'm telling you that God is working. And it could very well be that God has caused you to be barren at this particular moment in time and shut up your womb because later there's something going to come out of your life and be birthed. that's going to bring glory that's going to change a nation man I'm telling you this was good in the office this morning so Hannah she began to just seek the Lord and she began to pray and she made this vow unto God and said oh God If you indeed look on my affliction and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child. Listen, I want you to to notice this. She prayed for one child, a man child, a specific prayer. She said, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of my life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Did you know that the name Hannah, it means grace, It means mercy. It means favored. And so, listen, in the scriptures we're reading here about Hannah, her name means grace. So grace, or Hannah, was identified as having no children. But listen, listen to what the Lord spoke to me today. The work of grace in our lives will never leave us identified by what we were nor will it leave us barren. Grace will change our identity because grace gets us out of the way and places us in Christ. When we allow grace to work in our lives, listen, it impregnates us with the purpose God intended for our lives and grace will always give birth to fruit. I said grace will always give birth to fruit. Panina, she's a shadow and type of the law, while Hannah is a shadow and type of grace. Grace always gets a worthy portion. Grace always receives more because grace is favor and grace is undeserved. And listen, you and I, you want to know why so many people run from the grace of God? Because they can't control it. I've got no say the amount of grace God gives to you. 
I could get up here and I could preach for 20 years and, 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 and all these things. And you get up here and preach one time and man, and, and nothing happened for me 20 years. And God just give grace to you and everybody in the place gets saved. If they were saved, they get saved again. If they're filled with the Holy Ghost, they get filled again. And people run from that and people would be jealous of that. Because we, we, we just cannot control grace. But listen to this. I saw this this morning, and I'm not very smart or theological, so y'all have probably already seen this before. But I didn't see it till this morning, and ooh. Grace always gets a worthy portion, and grace always receives more because grace is favor and undeserved. This is seen later in the life of Hannah. We talked about it a second ago. Hannah prayed for one child. She prayed for a man-child. But I want you to look in verse number 21 of chapter number 1. I want you to see this. I'm sorry. Chapter number 2, verse 21. Chapter number 2, verse 21. I want you to see this. Bible said, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. If you add three and you add two, you get the number five. And the number five in the word of God represents grace. I don't think you heard what I said. Grace gets more. Grace Get deserves, it doesn't even deserve more, but grace always receives a worthy portion. So because Hannah chose, to, she vowed this vow and was obedient and honored what she told the Lord that she would do, God sent grace to her house. She only got to see Samuel once a year. So God sent grace to her house in the form of five children, that five representing the number grace, that, that number representing grace throughout the word of God. So because she obeyed, because she did what she said that she would do, because in the midst of her barrenness and in the midst of her trial and in the midst of what, everything that was going on in her life, in the midst of the enemy, John Wayne, pounding her head and saying, you're unworthy, you're a disgrace to your husband, you're, you're, and shaming her and low-rating her and, and just a barrage of all these things and telling her all these things she said I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy I'm not going to give in to those things because I know that grace is at work in my life listen I come to tell you today grace is at work in your life I don't care what the enemy's been telling you I don't care what you're going through not that I'm not sympathetic and empathetic to it I am but I came by to tell you today that listen don't give in to the lies of the enemy don't give up on it now because because not only did, did, did Hannah get the man child that she asked for but God sent five children to her home that she could spend time with every day. Gave her a, a more than she asked for. And so what God just showed me through all of this in the text in chapter number four, what a grim and terrible time for the nation of Israel. Probably one of the darkest times in their history. But God knew. I said God knew what was going to happen in chapter number four. 
But in chapter number one, grace was already at work. In chapter number four, God knew that the children of Israel were going to be defeated. But in chapter number one, grace was already at work making a way for them to be redeemed. That's just what grace does. Sister Connie, you may not be able to see God working in your healing right now. You may be in chapter four. But in chapter one, grace began working. In chapter one, healing began working. So you may be in chapter four this morning. But not to worry because in chapter number one, grace began its work. Grace began its work and this child Samuel was born. And you know the story of Samuel. Samuel was the man that God used as a prophet to change the course of the entire nation of Israel. Do you hear what I'm saying? Grace changed the course of an entire nation. And so who, who do we think we are or, or our situations that we're in that, that grace can't come and change the situation that we're in? That grace can't work in the situation that I'm in? It may look bad. It may, but grace always gives me a worthy portion. Grace always gives me more than I deserve. And I just come by this morning to tell somebody, listen, you may be in chapter 4, but just hang on. Because grace began working in chapter number one. And later on in another chapter or two, I don't know where it's at, but God began to turn the, the nation of Israel back to himself. He paved the way for redemption. You know, there's... there's the three R's we learned about in school, reading, writing, and arithmetic. But you know God has three R's too. And he wants to work that in our lives today. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you can stand with me all over this place. If you don't know Jesus this morning, the first R that he wants to work in your life is redemption. God wants to redeem you this morning. Friend, grace has been working in your life even though you may not have even seen it. Hannah had no idea. She had no idea that grace was working. She had no idea that she was even grace and that grace was working. Do you know that grace is praying for you this morning? Not only that, grace is travailing for you this morning as Hannah. She poured out her soul. She poured out her heart, travailed before the Lord. Grace is doing that for you this morning. And so if you don't know this Jesus this morning, the first R that he desires to work in your life, the first work of grace is redemption. Grace brings repentance, which brings redemption. Amen? This morning, the, the second R that the work of grace wants to do in your life this morning is reconciliation. Maybe amongst someone in here, maybe amongst some of your family, reconciled unto God. It comes through redemption. And the third R is restoration. Redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. Three of the R's of God. Listen, they're all works of grace. 
And God wants to allow that grace to work in our lives this morning. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place this morning, first of all, Lord, if you don't know this Jesus, this grace is such an awesome and such a beautiful, beautiful thing. It truly is an amazing thing because it it always gives you what you don't deserve. And this morning, if you don't know this Jesus, there's a sin debt on your life. You owe God. There's a sin debt on your life. But about 2,000 years or so ago, grace was at work. And he knew that you would be in this place this morning and need him. And so he went and he paid that sin debt for you with his blood that we sang about this morning. And he shed that blood for you. So if you don't know this Jesus this morning, I'm just going to invite you to come and find somewhere to pray in this altar this morning. Come and receive this grace. You may be in chapter 4, but grace has been working since chapter 1 this morning.